When we study Bible prophecy, two things are right at the forefront, and that is, number one, at any moment we could be with the Lord by virtue of our physical death or His return for us in the clouds. And then secondly, we all must give an account for our lives to the Lord. And we will stand before the Lord, not for our sins, He has covered our sins, but we will give an account for the way we lived our lives. And if we believe that, and we remember that every day, it changes the way we live. Knowing that the Lord could return at any moment for his bride, the church, let's go back to the book of Revelation again. Let me quickly highlight what we have seen in Revelation chapter 6. But remember, chapter 1 is where the Apostle John encounters Jesus Christ. John exiled to the island of Patmos. He's in his 90s. The dating of this book is typically around 90 to 95 A.D. It's some 60-plus years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is seen in all of his glory in chapter 1. Then he gives an outline for the book. Chapter 1, the things that John had just experienced. And then chapters 2 and 3 are the letters to the seven churches. Fascinating letters. I encourage you to read those and study those. Then John sees the doorway to heaven, goes into heaven, and describes a scene that is, well, it's really indescribable, especially those four living creatures. But God is God. And incidentally, as I talk about the four living creatures that John's trying to describe, have you ever seen some of the National Geographics where they go deep into the oceans and, and you see some things that are there that you've never seen before? And you go, wow, what in the world is that? Well, keep that in mind in terms of God's incredibly creative capacity in terms of what he made in this world, including the four living creatures that we see when John goes into the throne room of heaven. And then, of course, we see in chapter 5, Jesus Christ breaks open the scroll, breaks the seal, the scroll can open. The judgments of God, this is yet future. This could happen at any moment. And in Revelation chapter 6, we can walk through these. We know that the first is the rider on the white horse. It's a false Christ. It's the, it's the false Messiah. It's the Antichrist who appears to bring peace to the earth. Reality is he's deceiving the nations of the world. Then we find the red horse, the horse that depicts war in the future. It could be that this is also a parallel to Ezekiel 38, where Russia and Turkey and Iran and other surrounding nations to the north of Israel invade Israel. And then we see there is going to be inflation and famine. The third seal is broken, the black horse. And then there is the horse that is described as being pale. And it, it, with it comes the idea of death. And that death could well be at the hands not only of war, but also pestilence. That's right, pestilence. What are the judgments of God? Do you see, by the way, when you read that chapter, the huge percentage of the world's population will die? When we look at this, imagine for a moment our current situation if the Delta virus were as contagious as Omicron. What would be happening? Isn't the Lord trying to wake us up, to, to show us the frail nature of our humanity? And then we have chapter 6, verses 9 and through 11, talks about martyrdom. This describes believers who have been executed during the tribulation period, and they're crying out to the Lord. And so you see that people who have died, whose bodies have been laid in the grave, 
they're still well, they're still alive and they're able to communicate. And in fact, they're asking God to judge those who martyred them. And then the seal judgment, verses 12 through 17, talks about a series of cosmic uh, disturbances. Uh, there is that which is playing out in the heavens. We see something, by the way, that almost appears to be a nuclear explosion in terms of the scroll, the clouds rolling up like a scroll. So all this sets the stage for what now is chapter 7. And what we are going to see in chapter 7 is that God is focusing his attention all the more on the nation of Israel. So we read in Revelation chapter 7, verse 1, And after this I saw four angels standing at the corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now the following verses list the number of tribes and how many of these Jewish believers now at this point are sealed. There are 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. They're all Jews. And when you read something like this, you cannot simply say, well, somehow this refers to the church. No, God is dealing with his people. And we have, we have to understand that, that he still has a plan for Israel. Now, Jews to this day have to come to Christ just as we do. That hasn't changed. The, the gospel's the same for all of us. But there was a commitment that God made to these people, to the Jews, and he's going to honor that commitment. It goes on and says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every tribe, from all tribes and peoples with languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Man, we're going to be here for this. And the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. This passage makes it clear. There will be many who will come to faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. Most will probably be martyred but they will find themselves before the throne of God because their sins are covered by the blood of Christ. These are martyrs in, during the tribulation period. And there are a couple of things we ought to note, and that is in verse 9 it says that those martyrs will be clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. The white robes 
are indicative of putting on the righteousness of Christ at the moment you trust in him. That we have our sins placed on his cross, his perfect righteousness is imputed to us. And so we are clothed in white physically and spiritually. And then you notice that these martyrs are crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They are worshiping. When we die physically, our bodies committed to the grave, we are in the presence of the Lord. Our soul, spirit is before the Lord. And we are as as conscious as we are right at this moment while we're still in the body. Now, this is one incredible worship service. In fact, our worship today ought to be a, a reflection of what it's going to be like when we are literally before the throne with the four living creatures, with the 24 elders, with other believers who have gone before us. And then we are there, the raptured saints. And then we have the arrival of those who have stood their ground during the tribulation period, at which point it seems that the worship is that much more accentuated by those who have sacrificed their lives during this horrible time on earth. And notice what it says, too, about their arrival and what we can look forward to, all of us. It says, Therefore they are, verse 15, before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And then it says, They shall hunger no more. These are the ones who have come to faith out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes in, in the blood of the Lamb. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now the question is asked by many Bible scholars, what are these tears? When we are in the presence of the Lord, fully forgiven for all our sins, and we're with the Savior, why would there be tears? There is a great deal of debate on this. I, for one, believe that Dr. J. Dwight Pentecost may have had the best analysis of this, something he shared with me in an interview I conducted with him many years ago before he went home to be with the Lord, just short of the age of 100. I mentioned these tears, and Dr. Pentecost said to me, and again, a brilliant scholar, he said, I believe those are tears of regret. I was puzzled when he said that, and I asked him, well, what do you mean, tears of regret? He then went on to talk about the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, where we as believers give an account for our lives to the Lord. He said that he believed that these tears that will be wiped away will be tears that will come when it's obvious that some of us are standing before the Lord and we are empty-handed because we have not lived for him. We have not honored him. And in our hands are those things that are eternally worthless, and they go up in flames. And we stand empty-handed before the one who died for us. And in closing, I pray for myself and for you as well, 
that we will make a commitment in light of what we're reading in this passage, a commitment to live our lives so that we stand before our Savior and we will hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward.